Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to X's and O's with your hosts, Greg Cassell and Doug Farrar. Good Tuesday post-draft morning, everyone. Uh, welcome once again to the X's and O's with Greg Costell and Doug Farrar. I am Doug Farrar, and the guy to my uh, pejorative left here is Greg Costell. Bowl <laughs> <laughs> 52 sweatshirt um, in the NFL Films offices in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, where I've been once. So that was an amazing day uh, just to hang out and talk ball. And we were watching some quarterback who I don't want to mention because his tape wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Greg, we are uh, we're back on the air. We're talking about the 2023 NFL draft now that it's in the books. And I wanted to get into uh I asked you for six guys that regardless of where they went and who they went to, we're not really getting into scheme fits yet. Just the, the picks you like the most. Before we get into that, I wanted to get into uh the the Detroit Lions who with their 12th pick selected Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Alabama, with their 18th pick they selected Jack Campbell the linebacker from Iowa. And I wanted to just riff for a minute on the concept of reaches. And I know you have some definite opinions on this. So <laughs> just, it, it, you're not shy about the whole concept of reaches. So I, just, and, and there's so much of this now. And I know Mitchell Schwartz had a really interesting thing about all you have to do to get an A draft grade is take players below where people had them ranked. You know, the whole thing is kind of weird. So what are your thoughts on, Reaches in general and the Lions in particular with what they did. And I guess my first response would be a question. What is a reach? Is a reach a pick that the so-called draft gurus don't have, uh, you know, to be picked at that point in the draft? People that don't have any idea what teams draft boards look like and right. do mock drafts. Is that what we're base, basing the definition of a reach on? I mean, there's plenty of guys that you and I have tremendous respect for who do an unbelievable job in terms of evaluation. The Daniel Jeremiah's of the world, the Mel Kuypers, yep. the Todd McShay's. You know, we all have unbelievable respect for those guys because we know they do it the right way. And they put together mock drafts. And, and that's wonderful. Um, I don't do mock drafts because I don't particularly find that, and I'm just being honest, to be the, the, the best use of my time because right. I just like watching tape and evaluating players, and I love that process, Doug, more than I like sitting around for an hour deciding what team's going to take what player. So are we basing a reach on the on the fact that, uh, with no disrespect to any of those guys who I love and I know, you know, know them all, are we basing a, a reach on the idea that Daniel Jeremiah had him going at you know, had Jack Campbell as the 38th best player? Is that what we're basing our definition of a reach on? Well, I think, in, I mean, I don't know that it was a reach in either case. I would say as a counter, um, an argument could be made that was Gibbs my number one running back? No, it was B. John Robinson. Was Campbell my number one Robinson. Yeah. Um, was Campbell my number one linebacker? Not in my case. Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell and, and the people in uh, – in that facility, obviously, so he, differently. My question so, would be this then. 
he he was not your number one linebacker, which is totally fine. You know, no one's wrong or right here. But so he's not your number one linebacker. Maybe he wasn't anybody's number one linebacker. I don't know. Well, the he answer. was their number one linebacker, which he is was all the their back. number one linebacker. Exactly. So exactly. are we are we then trying to argue that Brad Holmes and the staff of the Lions don't know what they're doing? Is that then the the next step in the argument because he wasn't someone else's number one linebacker who's by by the way is not doing anywhere near the amount of diligence and research that the lions are doing sure. on jack campbell so is that how we're what we're basing this on that the lions came up to the came up with the conclusion that jack campbell was the number one stacked linebacker on their board they viewed that as an important position and how they want to structure their defense that can be debated right or wrong and have a wonderful reasonable debate about that mm-hmm. um just like the Bears went out and spent a ton of money on stacked linebackers, the Eagles will never spend a ton of money on stacked linebackers. You can have a reasonable conversation about that in which smart, reasonable people will disagree, but that's okay. But right. that doesn't mean that the Lions reached. This is who they, after a ton of research, a ton of diligence, this is what they decided. So if you're saying the bottom line point is if you're saying that they reached, you're ultimately saying that they don't know what they're doing. Are they overspent? I mean, you could like, I don't want to get too far off track here, but like the, the Texans after selecting CJ Stroud second overall went from 12 to three, gave up a lot for Will Anderson jr. Nobody doubts that Will Anderson jr. Is a great player. That's not really the point. It's you gave up that much for this guy. I, I guess it's comparative value, either player value or positional value. Um, that where people start to think, I don't know, maybe reach is the wrong term, maybe uh, opportunity cost, uh, value, sort of what you spent. I don't know. Look, I personally believe that Jack Campbell will be a day one starter. Now, I, he might not play every snap because obviously they've got Anzalone still. They still have Malcolm Rodriguez, who actually had a very nice rookie season. Totally different kind of player than either Anzalone or Campbell. So they've got, you know, multiple. Mul- dimensional players at the linebacker position, which they'll figure out how they want to deploy them in given packages. But, you know, that's up to them. But, you know, just getting back to Jameer Gibbs, you and I both know why the Lions were viewed as what are they doing? Because Jameer Gibbs has RB next to his name. So therefore, if you have RB next to your name, any team that drafts one, with the possible exception of B. John Robinson, who some consider to be somewhat transcendent, and and I loved his tape, by the way, as I know you did, Um, but anybody else in this draft who had RB next to their name was viewed by most as should never have gone in the first round, because you don't take running backs in the first round, according to many. But, but what I if he's an offensive weapon? What if he's an offensive weapon? That's How do you Brad think? And I, I subscribe to that theory. You know, right. this league, if you're reducing it to its simplest terms, and then we can get to specific players. Right. If you're reducing this league to simplest terms, offenses are trying to create explosive plays and defenses are trying to prevent explosive plays. That's yep. in simplest generic terms. Yeah. Jameer Gibbs can give you explosive plays, and he can do it anywhere in your formation. He doesn't have to do it as an eye back standing behind the quarterback. So he's an offensive weapon who can create and give you explosive plays. I view that as a positive. Right. And that's, you know, in the in the larger abstract, that's what it's all about. So speaking of players who can make a difference, I asked you for six guys that no matter where they went, you've got uh, a lot of third-round guys here. You've got a fourth-rounder and two second-rounders. 
So these aren't like, oh, he, you know, this changes the whole franchise or this is the biggest steal, which is another weird term. Right, that, right, right. That, right. That I also, <laughs> yeah, also use. Um, so I just, I wanted to get into your six guys. And I want to start with, and we talked about him last week as sort of your favorite guys coming into the draft. Riley Moss, cornerback yep. from Iowa. No, he should not move to safety. Uh, the Denver Broncos get him a third round, 20th pick, 83rd overall. And just recap what you like about Moss, and I'm I'm a big fan too. First of all, he's got great size. He's almost six one. He's one ninety three. He has phenomenal athletic testing measurables. Yes, um, I, I have no idea why people think he should move to safety because I have one good. idea, Greg, and we both know what it is. Of course, uh, we're going to leave that alone for now. Um, he's white, <laughs> but if you look at his size, his testing measurables, and his tape, he is a pretty good corner prospect yes um you know it's interesting he was drafted before keely ringo and on my my sense of watching both guys is that made perfect sense to me i, I thought his tape and and was better than keely ringo's now i know ringo's 62207 and ran a 436 and that gets people excited but moss he ran a 445 which is absolutely fine and by the way on I think it was the second play of the game against Ohio State. He was matched up in press man on um, Marvin Harrison. It was a vertical route. Yes, it yep. was the second play of the game. He was stride for stride with Harrison. Now, the ball wasn't thrown to Harrison, but Harrison ran the route like he was going to get the ball, and yes. Moss was with him stride for stride. Um, and he had no issues playing mirror match press man against all of Ohio State's five-star recruit receivers. Um you know, he's, you wouldn't call him twitchy and sudden, but he's really smooth and fluid. He yes. has really good ball production. He's physical and competitive in the run game. He embraced the physical nature of the game. Um, I, I thought Riley Moss was a really good corner prospect. I said last week, and what it really, it was the physicality. It was the arm length. or He just seemed, I don't know, it was measurable, but he seemed like a range. It's 30, it's 30 inches, which is not super long, but it looks longer on tape. Well, that's the thing, uh, but it was the footwork and the aggressiveness. And what I said last week on this show is if you did not get Devin Witherspoon and you wanted that kind of guy, maybe not quite that level, but that sort of type of player, I thought, you know, okay, Riley Moss is maybe that guy. Yeah, and I thought he played zone coverage very well, which a yes. lot of corners in college football don't. Um, I thought he played uh, – uh, with his eyes well. He was very disciplined in his reactions. He understood the gray areas in zone coverage, and there's always gray areas in zone coverage. Um, and he could play press. Um, you know, is, is he ex as explosive as you'd ideally like? No, but that's why he's a third-round pick and not a first-round pick. You know, right. that's the other thing a lot of people forget, is as you go further down in the draft, there are flaws or weaknesses or whatever term you want to use that's why guys get drafted later, you know, but sometimes I think people forget that. Although I think in, in drafts like these, which I call wider as opposed to taller, yeah. i.e. maybe you have 12 to 15, like really first round grade guys. And, you know, there's 31 first round picks this year. So someone's going to go in the first round, maybe whatever. Um, you start from the second round, you go to about the sixth. You're going to get guys with not a, a lot of flaws just because it's so packed yeah. in that sort of top middle. Yeah. Uh, speaking of top middle, let's go to another corner. I know you liked a lot, uh, as did I. Tyreek Stevenson of Miami went to the Bears, second round, 25th pick, 56th overall. This is another guy. The thing that stood out to me right away, um, match and recovery. Yep. This guy was a fun watch. Um, 
I didn't view there to be a lot of mystery to watching this guy and his no. his projection and transition to the league. I mean, this guy is a physical press man corner. I certainly didn't see every corner that was eligible or that was in the draft, but of the corners I saw, I thought he was as physical as any that I had seen. Um, he's clearly comfortable playing that way. He's got explosive athletic traits. He plays with a swagger and a physical and mental arrogance that every DB coach will love to have him. I mean, that's what you love with a corner. This guy had a mental arrogance about him. I mean, he was just absolutely fun to watch. Yeah, if you're a corner, you better have that. Um, yep. I, I talked to Richard Sherman a lot over the years, and, well, there you go. By the way, Sherman's been working with uh, Kalei Ringo for the last couple months, and so the Eagles might be getting uh, an improved player there. And that's good because I think he needs better. a lot of improvement. But, yeah. well, you know, he, he was not on my list of six, as people can probably guess by now. Right. Um, so speaking of athletic measurables, oh, my gosh. <laughs> the Dolphins already had a track team, Greg, and now they got one more guy who is a literal Olympic-level track athlete in uh, running back Devin A. Chain, third round, 21st pick, 84th overall. I love this pick. I love. He was one of the more – like if I had a top 10 guys who just yeah. – the tape was so much fun and so explosive and so, oh, my goodness, he would certainly be on the list. So how does he project in that Mike McDaniel offense? Because, you know, they got uh, Mostert, who was a really fast guy. They love fast guys, so he certainly qualifies. Yeah, this guy was uh, – like you said, he was fun to watch as well. Um, He's a real interesting kind of runner because, see, because he has a track background. I mean, this guy was a sprinter running 60 meters, 100 meters, 200 meters. So, therefore, he runs a little bit differently. He's a little stiffer through his core. And, you know, because that's what how you train for track. You know, right. normally when you think of, of running backs, you think of more, you know, looser hipped guys, guys that make defenders miss at the second and third level, just looser with their overall body and particularly their lower half. He's a little tighter, so therefore he was a little different in the way he ran. So he was more of a daughter and a slasher than kind of shifty and elusive. But he had a really – I couldn't almost – I couldn't figure out exactly what to type when I watched him, you know, how to what the right words were, because he definitely had a stop-and-start change of direction, yeah. suddenness and explosiveness to him. He could reaccelerate to top speed from a, from a stop, but yet he didn't look like your typical back. But he was really, really fun to watch. And Did you see the touchdown against LSU where he put LSU safety just in the dryer? Like he, yeah. he, he faked outside and then went back inside the safety. He's like, okay, I have to split myself in two to do this, and I can't. Yeah, no. Yeah, so I watched a lot of it. And plus, he's a terrific receiver. You saw yes. that more in 2021 than in 2022, um, where, you know, he was split out more in 2021. He ran more vertical type routes in 2021, but he's a terrific receiver. Um, you know, he's 5'8 and a half, 188. But he's obviously solidly built, as a lot of track guys are. Yeah. Um, he was—he just has a different way of running because of that track background. But he was really kind of fun to watch. Yeah, he's not a power guy, but he'll put his foot in it. And you know, I, when we, we when I put this up uh, tomorrow or tonight, I'll because I tweeted out that LSU touchdown run, and you'll, you'll all just laugh at how hilarious it is. Uh, okay, let's go to, and I know this is the Greg Cosell favorite. I've heard you talk about this guy over and over and over. Jonathan Mingo goes to the Panthers in the second round, eighth pick, 39th overall. Greg, I'll give you the floor because I know you just love this guy. Well, it's funny. I watched this guy super early in the process. I mean, I may, I think I may have watched his tape before I went to the Super Bowl. And I just came away saying to myself, this guy's, he's a really good receiver. Um, 
and he has size. He's got stride length. He's got physical strength. He's competitive. You can line him up anywhere. See, it's funny how things work out. Not that, you know, it's just that I watched him early in the process. So, you know, it's not that I am smarter than anybody else, but I came away from him thinking this guy stylistically reminded me of AJ Brown. And I said that, you know, like I said, I said that before the Super Bowl. So it wasn't as if all of a sudden a week ago, you know, that I, I thought that. Um, but that's what I thought watching him. And in some ways, because he did line up in the backfield at times and he was clearly formation versatile due to his size, 6'2", 220, there were times I thought of Debo Samuel, you know, yeah. that he could be used in the context of an offense in a similar fashion. Now, I He's don't kind of that- built like a running back, too. I, I thought of Debo and I thought of Golden Tate as receivers I've evaluated who are kind of built like running backs. Yeah, and, and Mingo's much bigger than Tate in terms of height. Right. So you're dealing 6'2", Ran really well, really good athletic testing measurables. Um, I really liked his tape an awful lot. And, I, I, you know, I came away thinking that this guy really has a chance to be a, a pretty big-time NFL receiver. I'm going to go on a tangent here because that's kind of what we do. Because uh, you mentioned you watched Mingo. I don't know if he was your first guy. But through the years you've been doing this, you've been doing this a long time, like if the first guy you watch is like transcendently great or, oh, my God, horrible, does that – do you have to sort of get that out of your head as you go and watch other receivers or other players at any position? Do the first guys sort of, I don't want to say bias you, but you have to like, okay, um, I have to like, or well, let me ask you this way. When you go from player to player to player, do you have to get the previous player or the like the third to last guy you watched out of your head? If a guy is similar or, you know, you know what I mean? Just your no, no, but the way it does work for me is I can't watch one position eight or nine guys in a row. Right. I can watch three or four, and then I have to switch positions because what happens, particularly if they're similarly built, like obviously mm-hmm. if you're watching Mingo and then you put on Zay Flowers, they're totally different builds, totally right. different looking athletes. So there's no sense of, oh, they're the same. But if you watch, if I end up watching receivers who are, let's say, all over six feet or all, you know, five, nine, one eighty, and watch four or five of those guys in a row, they start to look the same. So, so I, I try never to do that because then I do become biased and prejudiced in my own mind. You know, I start to, to think the, the way I don't want to think because I want to watch each guy kind of with an open mind, you know, starting from scratch, um, which is why I don't like to read anything anybody says, you know, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. While I'm watching now, granted, yeah. neither you or I live under a rock, so sometimes you hear people talk just because that's life. But I don't, I don't try to read anything because that that just prejudices you. But no, I don't like to watch. I can watch three or four guys at the same position, one after the other, but not eight or nine. Because and that's particularly true of let's say corners as well, because yes. there's you know there's not a large difference normally between corners. Like I just watched a corner um, from Oregon State. You may be familiar, Alex Austin. I don't know if you're from. I think he's a pretty good prospect. He was a Mm -hmm. seventh round pick. Now I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching him because he's long, he's pretty athletic. He's got, you know, arm length, um, played a lot of press man, understood zone. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know why he was a seventh round pick. Now I'm not suggesting he should have been a top 50 pick, but you know, I could probably look at a fourth round corner and say to myself, I could have seen him going in the fourth round just as easily as the seventh round. That's interesting. Yeah. With me, it's kind of the exact opposite. If I'm in a position and I'm doing like 11 guards, 
I kind of want to stay on the track because I get a better and better sense as I go, like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. These are the traits. These are the attributes. And if it's, you know, an outside zone guy as opposed to a, you know, gap puller and, you know, 40 pounds difference, you can split that out. And so it's interesting that, yeah, that's. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that tight ends are similar in that sense too, is yeah. because tight ends for the most part are not sudden and twitchy. You know, that's just not the nature of the position. So what happens is if I watch five or six tight ends in a row, they all I start to feel like they all look the same the way they move because they're not going to be sudden. They're not going to be twitchy. They're all going to run four, six to four, eight, and they're going to look kind of the same, you know, with very, very few exceptions. So I try not to watch seven or eight tight ends in a row. Okay, let's get to your next guy. And this is the Alabama Byron Young, not the Tennessee Byron Young. Yeah. Who went to the Raiders, who did some interesting uh, – their guy, Nesta Jade Silvera from Arizona State, I think they got in the seventh round. I like him too. But talk to me about Byron Young and what he does for a Raiders defense that needs kind of help uh, all over the place. Yeah, I really liked Byron Young from Alabama. I thought that he was scheme versatile, position versatile. Um I, he played inside at Alabama. There were times he lined up as a wide nine and rushed the quarterback. Yeah. Um, he's got, as I said, positional versatility, which is a trait, obviously. Yeah, he um, was all over the place. Yeah, I, I think he showed off the ball quickness to play in a one-gap system if you wanted him to. I thought he had point of attack strength to be a force as a two-gap player if you chose to, to do that. And, you know, teams now are not one or the other 100%, as you know. Um I thought he had pretty refined hand usage for a college player, particularly when he was rushing the quarterback, but it it did show up as a run defender as well. He has really long arms, and I thought he understood how to use them. Uh, He had great arm extension to control and displace offensive linemen. I think he's just scratching the surface because, you know, Alabama, because they've got, you know, every guy in their defense is a five-star, so it's not like Young played 55, 60 snaps a game. So I think he's just scratching the surface of what he can be. I think the one gap, two gap versatility shows up on tape and that he's just as effective right over the blocker as he is to either side, you know. I agree. Like he's He can be a four or four eye pretty equivalently as far as what he can do, which is. Yeah, and there's so much, you know, there's so many, much five uh, down linemen fronts now yes. that, you know, in those fronts sort of mix and match one gap and two gap. So, you know, I think he fits really well in those schemes. And I think Patrick Graham, uh, their defensive coordinator, would like to be more versatile, would like to be more sort of schematically uh, diverse. He maybe just didn't, didn't have the players to do it. That was my experience watching his defenses with uh, the Giants. I, I, you know, guys like this, you bring them in, and certainly, gosh, Tyree Wilson, um, and maybe he can start to put those things together. Absolutely. Yeah. The final guy, Nick Herbig, who the Steelers, who had a heck of a draft, by the way, had, they got a bunch of what Mike, Mike Tomlin said, we got a bunch of goons. <laughs> I don't know quite what that means, but I have a pretty good idea. Uh, Nick Herbig, the uh, pass rusher, Steelers, uh, fourth round, 30th pick, 132nd overall. What did you like about Herbig? I think you just knows how to rush the quarterback. And that's a trait that's always in demand. That has value, yes. Yeah, now people are going to look at his weight and his arm length, which isn't great. And and that's one reason I'm sure he was drafted in the fourth round, because his tape tells you that he's a very, very good pass rusher. But then people try to project and transition, and they say, okay, 240, 31 and a quarter inch arms. Oh, I'm not sure. You know, and, and I think that's a fair debate to have. And I'm sure it was had in many draft rooms about Nick Herbig, because when you watch him at Wisconsin, um, 
you know, he looks really good rushing the quarterback. Now he played almost exclusively on the uh, on the ball. Um, a lot of people have projected him to be an off the ball linebacker. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know what the Steelers' plan is for him. But you're dealing with a guy that played predominantly on the ball and was a really good pass rusher. I mean, he had slippery, explosive traits as an edge rusher, subtle hand usage. He was able to clear the arc, flatten his rush path, and then yeah. close with speed to the quarterback. Um, I thought he played stronger than 240. So, I, you know, there were, there were a number of examples where he showed point of attack strength with solid pop. You know, pop is, is one of those things. It's really in about a 6 to 10-inch area when you mm-hmm. come off the ball and you pop a guy. It's, you know, it, it, it's, it, that's really what it is. It's not about moving a guy for five yards. You know, it, it's really just that initial contact that allows you to take control of the rep. Um, so I, I really liked, I mean, I liked the way he played. There were, by the way, there were some setting the edge plays that were textbook teach tape. He, he yes. really set the edge well in the run game. As I said, he played bigger and stronger than 240, and he can rush the quarterback. And that is a trait that's always in demand. You never have enough pass rushers in this league. I think it might be more in demand uh, at his size. At, you talked about the prevalence of five-man fronts. Well, what do you want? I, I mean, Eagles got Hassan Redick in, and he just blew up because he's – Hassan Redick is, what, 240? Built about like Herbig is, 60, right. 240, that sort of player. Um, so you want that speed end in that sort of – I mean, I always think of the old – not so much the Buddy Ryan, but the old Wade Phillips 5-2 uh, with the light uh, nose tackle. Um, that sort of thing. You want those speed guys outside, and he seems to be so. Uh, you know, he as a as a good player in that sort of vein, and then his type of player being more valued as we move back to more five man fronts, without question. And and you know, again, I, I knew he wasn't going to be you know a, a top fifty pick, but I, I just really you know he was one of those guys. I started watching Doug, and I just started. I kept watching more games. Now I was also watching Benton the Nose, who the Steelers. Also drafted, yep. I believe. Um, Great he's an interesting player as well. But um, but I just really enjoyed watching Herbig because he he was sometimes there are certain players you know this. There are certain players that you watch and you feel after a short amount of time you've got a really good sense and you keep watching because you want to do the proper due diligence. But they don't really change. Then there's other players that you watch and as you watch them they either continue to get better and you're like, God, I'm really glad I'm watching more and more or they get a little worse. And you're still glad you're watching more and more because you want to have all that in your bank, so to speak. Herbig, I just wanted to keep watching more and more and more. And I thought that he just kept showing subtle parts of his traits that I thought were really, really positive. Yeah, both Young and Herbert, you mentioned, and I agree, uh, the hand technique, the sort of nuances of the position and they, the different positions. But And that's something, it kind of drives me nuts because so many guys on uh, so many college defensive linemen come in to the NFL. And I think it's why so many take a year to sort of get to the NFL level because they're just used to sort of running by tackles. And, oh, now I'm facing Trent Williams. I have to up my technique or else. Yeah, and and the simplest way I can describe it, and this is generic but true, is as a pass rusher, you've got to learn how to play off contact. You're not running by quality NFL offensive tackles. Even lousy ones, you're probably not running by. You know, Most of them, no. Yeah, so you have to learn how to play off contact uh, because you know what? You're going to get blocked, but 
you know, you have to learn how to play off that quickly or else you're not a great pass rusher. When you evaluate pass rushers, Doug, you have to look at the first three, four steps and what happens Mm -hmm. there. There's a lot of guys that can make secondary sacks and, you know, and redirect and retrace. And and those are all good traits. We're not saying that those are bad things. But if you're really looking for the high-level pass rushers, the guys that you want to draft early or the guys that are going to be very good in the league and that are good in the league, they have to be able to win as early as possible in the rep because that's how you evaluate pass rushers. Uh, I believe the Niners took Robert Beal, uh, the kid from Georgia, and yep. in, in their press conference talking about Beal, John Lynch, the GM, talked about, and I'll, you can extrapolate this yourself, the family show, they have a, a metric called GTFO, and it's get the bleep off. And it's it, he was talking about exactly that, those first two steps, like how quickly does he get off? How quickly does he get up to full speed? How can he affect the blocker with that? So that's, you know. Because that's what it's about. That's how, you know, and they have one of the best in the league, if not the best, in Nick Bosa at playing off contact. Yes. Bosa, if you know, Bosa does not just run around guys. I mean, yeah. Bosa's obviously got very good quickness, but he's not necessarily, you know, just one of those guys. You know, you'll remember this. Maybe some listening will as well. If, if people can remember Bruce Smith, who just had a ridiculous ability to bend. He was almost like a baseball pitcher who, you know, got his his – back knee dirty because it would hit the ground because he got so low delivering the ball. You know, Bruce Smith was kind of like that, the way he could bend. Nick Bose is not not like that. So he's got a playoff contact, and he's he may be the best in the league at being able to play off contact of an offensive tackle. Yep. Well, Greg, as always, great stuff. Uh, next week we're going to get into scheme fits, which is uh, we're going we're gonna to get really geeky. But uh, Well, that's always fun time. because yep. that, that's kind of important. I'll start with Deontay Banks, who I think Wick Martindale is going to love. I would agree with that. Best man corner in this class. That that would just that one stuck out to me. So we'll we'll talk about him and a whole bunch of other guys later. Uh, next week. Greg, as always, great stuff, and I appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Doug. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.